Welcome to A Deeper Dive with Pastors Steve Page and Tim Shaw. Our podcast is a conversational journey through the deeper meaning, implications, and applications of God's Word for today's world. Now, it's time to take a deeper dive. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Page. And I'm Tim Shaw, and we're here to take a deeper dive in the Gospel of Mark. And we are going to dig into some very deep themes here, uh, crucial themes um, in, in terms of what it means to, to live in, live out um, the gospel of Jesus in the world. Um, in this segment, we're going to talk uh, about the, the big heavy theme of the kingdom of God, first of all, and because it is the, as, as a lot of theologians call it, the center and the circumference of all that Jesus did and taught um, of course, then it would help to kind of elaborate on the idea, what, what does that exactly mean? But let me just reread something that I taught in, in, the, uh, uh, um, in the videos there, in, in the second video. And it's Jesus' kind of summary statement. At least Mark puts it as a summary statement of, of Jesus' mission. And he, and, and he said this uh, after John, this is in verse, chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news or the gospel of God. And he said this, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then after that, he went and chose his, uh, his first few disciples. But let's talk about the kingdom of God, Tim, if we can dive down a little bit. Um, and because there's so many ideas about this and how much of it is here, how much of it is not here. Is, is the kingdom of God in heaven? Is the, is the kingdom of God the church? Um, you know, uh, I, I just was reading a theologian yesterday, you know, everybody wrestles with trying to find the kingdom of God. He said, look, I compare it to jazz. You know, you know it when you hear it. You can't define it, but you can describe it. And I thought, yeah, that's about right. It's pretty tough. It's one of those concepts that are far bigger than the words we'll ever use to contain it. You know, it's, it's just a huge concept there. But anything that, that uh, you wanted to kind of throw out there is like your perception or your understanding or how would you summarize what is, this, this is a big question, the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that um, you know, probably week after week after week after week after week in most of our churches, we pray this prayer that we've called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we repeatedly pray about. Uh, maybe it's because it's so familiar; we don't doesn't really register what we're actually saying. We want your kingdom, your reign, the rule of Christ, to show up in our lives, in our world, in our relationships, in our families, in our communities, in our workplace. Uh, your kingdom come, mm -hmm. so that your your will will be done. Mm -hmm. You know, in us and in the world around us and through us. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a it's a familiar concept, I think, for most followers of Jesus. But it's it's also a maybe it's so familiar that it is not front and center in our minds. Right, which is really sort of a radical prayer. It's a really radical petition, really asking God that his kingdom would not stay only in heaven, but that it would come down and be a part of our uh, lives here. And I think you've talked a lot about 
uh, purple spaces mm. where the kingdom of God overlaps with the world here. Um, great video by uh, the, Bible, the Project. Bible Project. Yep, about purple spaces and the kingdom. Uh, I encourage people to take a look at that if they haven't seen that in a while. The BibleProject.org, that is a huge resource. That's just a great resource. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, there's so much that we can learn just by watching these uh, short videos. But uh, creating purple space, creating that space where the reign of Christ is being lived out uh, in us and in our, and through us into the uh, world around us. And that, that's why I probably would talk about it, too, in terms of its impact. Um, instead of trying to define the, the hard contours of, of, of the concept itself, uh, but it is, it ha- its features, its characteristic is, is that it's dynamic. It's not static. Like, it's, it's in-breaking. It's not sitting somewhere. And this is really crucial for us Christians to understand, you know, uh, I think at least, you know, that can really help us to know then what's our place and what's our action as a Christian in the world. So when I did go online and I Googled Kingdom of God on Google Images, honest to goodness, I, I saw palatial things glowing in the clouds. You know, the only thing missing were unicorns. I swear there should have been unicorns to make it complete. Up Rainbows. <laughs> Rainbows, right, yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, if this is what people think the kingdom of God is, um, it's not earthy at all. <laughs> you know, it's someplace we go to eventually. And it, and it sits somewhere up there. And there's nothing dynamic about it. It was so, you know, thick-walled and everything else. And, and Jesus, like, describes and just demonstrates this complete different version here. And, and so uh, I'll put a couple of things together here. That I love N.T. Wright when he says this. He says, the key thing to note here is that the in-breaking kingdom, not the static kingdom, but the dynamic in-breaking kingdom Jesus was announcing created a new world. Not, not, it won't come late. He's already inaugurated this thing. I use that word, inaugurated. Uh, he inaugurated, he created a new world, a new context, and he was challenging his hearers to become the new people that that new context demanded, citizens of a new world. I mean, it would be so mind-blowing to us if we saw that as Jesus started the creation of a new world uh, and, and that he, was, he, he didn't just make us new people so he could live great in heaven, but that we can be citizens of this new world on earth as it is in heaven, as you were talking about. And, and, and so I kind of talk about the kingdom of God mission then, because I can't really define it as a concept, but I talk about it, its mission like this. It's bringing the purposes and the power and the values and the character of Jesus to bear on our world in real and tangible and impactful ways in every facet of life, and in every person here. And that's, that's a mouthful, and we can tease this out a little bit, but just to say, like, it's bringing his purposes and values and character to bear on the lost and sinful people of our world, to bring his purposes, power, values, and character to bear on the way we, we think about or do or talk about business, economics, practice politics, or the way we think and do about family life and friendships and dating and sex and marriage, or how we look at and live with the poor, the sick, the marginal, the hurting, the enslaved, the immigrant, the refugee, and bringing to bear 
his values and character and purposes on how we contend with our enemies. That's really, really important. It's like, you know, we, we bring it to bear on everything else but our enemies sometimes. So, you know, in, in a nutshell, you know, the kingdom of God mission is about setting the world to rights through Jesus, but by first setting us personally to rights and then through us to the world. Um, so the kingdom, you know, the kingdom work of a Christian or a church is not simply, you know, getting as many people in that life raft to to hang on and try not to do too many things be bad before you get to heaven. Just to get in that life raft, so you're saved, kind of a thing. But it's to join Jesus in the renewal of His world. Let me, let me, you know, you can respond in a second here, and I'll just give another uh, uh, quote here by Alan Hirsch. He says. The kingdom of God theology is not content with mission being a church-based work. Rather, it applies to the whole life of every believer. Every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God, and every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. And that's when, you know, when Jesus invited Peter and John to be his disciples, he didn't invite them into an easier way to get to heaven. That's not what he invited them into. He invited them into this mission, this mission of the renewal of the world. So, yeah, who wouldn't drop their nets for that, you know? But any further thoughts about anything we're touching on here? Well, could you unpack, unpack a little bit more of the, uh, the, what Hirsch was saying about the mission of God is not a church-based mission? What, what, is he, what do you think he's getting at? Yeah, so it's not like... Um, Here's six days of the week where we do other work. And then on day seven, when we gather for an hour and a half, we're doing, we're doing kingdom work. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard preachers preach this. Um, I'll leave them unnamed because they're very famous, but I've read articles and I've been in seminars with them where they said, you know, oh, people are worried about if we ask people to serve at church, we're going to burn them out because they're so busy with life. He says, most people are doing something so ordinary anyway. We're giving them the opportunity at church to really uh, do something kingdom-like. I, I just about wanted to run out of the room. I was, I was so upset to hear that. But, but I can see where your question is kind of going here a little bit. So what, what's being raised here is, is, is the, the mission of God, the vision of it is too narrow. It, it's talking about what we do at church. Right. At, which are important things for people to do. There's incredibly important roles for people to play in the context of the ministries of the church. But it's so much more than that. Um, why do you think it is that people may not understand or see that they're, uh, what they're doing the other six days is kingdom ministry or mission. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I, it's, it's interesting. My son just went to a service the other day where they had like a commissioning service for people who did social work. You know? Um, we ordain pastors, and then we just ask everybody else to volunteer about what the pastor wants to accomplish at church. <laughs> you know, that, that's a real big problem. Mm -hmm. and, and, and because, as we describe the kingdom of God, is to be brought into, you know, its purposes, its values, its power, uh, its character, into the way we do business, banking, economics, politics, marriage, raising kids, um, building homes, I don't care what it is. If, if we don't let people know that that is kingdom work, you know, then it's just work. It's a paycheck, you know, or it's a career. 
and it really has this eternal significance. That's tragic, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've been talking about um, doing similar to something uh, uh, Caleb saw, you mm -hmm. know, as far as recognizing that people are called into a variety of uh, fields as educators, as attorneys, as laborers, as um, real estate agents, as uh, just the list goes on, people in the arts. Um, there, that is kingdom activity. That potentially it can be the the role of um, the, the impact that people can have in their communities is significant for the kingdom of God. Uh, I think part of the reason how we got into that sort of narrow definition that you were just describing, you heard at that seminar, is because most of guys like you and me, you know, these us two reverends, mm -hmm. we were trained. At theological institutions, great ones. Fuller Theological Seminary is a great seminary. Mm -hmm. We were trained with other reverends to be, mm -hmm. or people getting ready for the academy to teach theology in the, uh, in the universities or mm -hmm. seminaries. Yeah, we were not in regular contact with other Christians who are leaders in the community. So when we land in a church, what do we know how to do? We know how to do church. All right. Right. Uh, we're not as well prepared, some of us. There are definitely pastors and some young leaders that I know that have spent some time in the marketplace that bring to their ministry in the church as leaders and pastors an experience that's going to be really quite helpful for them. That's why you and me, as we think about it, equipping people for their life in the church and outside the church, are partnering ourselves with other Christian leaders who have lived that experience. Um, and I think uh, it... Be a real transformation like that in the context of a church happens as guys like you and me acknowledge our limitations, that we um, do not know from personal experience um, what it's like to integrate faith uh, in the marketplace. Uh, but we're surrounded by people who are working at that and do know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And together we can shape a, a training program, a ministry that will really help all of us live out um, the gospel in all the settings that God is calling us to. And there's, um, and that's, that actually sounds like a lot of fun to me, but it's going to, it's going to require that I stay in learning mode. I stay as a rookie. I'm continuing to learn so that I can say, Hey, you know, these other folks who have this experience and have been wrestling this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, may have something that that'll be helpful uh, for our for our people, the church, to um, to to be equipped to live out that challenge uh, that the gospel, the the mission of God is not only on Sunday, right? But it's the other six days uh, as well. And the ministers of God are not just ordained people. That Amen. Have, that have the word reverend in front of them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and and this and see for me this is something I really want people to know. I mean, if you just think it in a practical sense, of all the people who need to get prayed for today, how many are going to get prayed for by a pastor? Hmm. There's just not enough pastors or full-time Christian workers to do all the prayer that needs to get done today, all the counsel that needs to get done today, all the wisdom giving that needs to happen in every nook and cranny of our society today. There's just not enough people in ministry to, to feed all the people who are hungry, to clothe, who are all naked. You know, I mean, you just can go on, on and on, on and on, on, is, is that it's just vastly impractical to, to think that 
the, what, what Jesus wanted to accomplish through his kingdom mission can be done through a certain ordained few folks. And, and, and so I hope the people listening understand that, that, you know, at your workplace, people need to be heard. They need to be understood. They need to be validated. They need, they need to be, feel loved. And, and I'm not going to be that person there to do it. You are. You know, you're that one. You're, you know, as uh, 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 one person wrote, you know, today Jesus has no hands in this world but yours, you know, and or something to that effect. And, 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 and he has no ears at your workplace maybe than just yours. And, and, and so, I mean, if the, if the Christian can wake up and in the morning and, you know, and that's part of the, what they put on is they put on with their socks and trousers or dress or whatever it is, they put on the mission of God the call of God on their life to be a kingdom agent uh, in, in the renewal of his world. Because God wants to renew that workplace. It's not a place of a paycheck. It's a place of community. There are lives being shaped there. There are hearts being broken. There are, heart be, there are hearts being repaired. There are dreams being expanded. There are dreams being crushed. You know, And, and it's the Christian that can step into all of that and, and speak so much life. Mm. You know? I love that. The you know our church talks a lot about being a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And what I've liked to do is sort of just expand that a little bit. That um, I see our church as like a teaching hospital, like a great teaching hospital, like Stanford University or um, Stanford University Hospital. It's a it, but this is kind of a strange hospital that you you can be roll into this hospital on a gurney, and you get cared for. That's what I hope people experience. You can come arrive in our church in any condition, and you get cared for, you get loved, and you experience growth and healing and nourishment, um, and you gradually get on your feet. You know, like they do after you have a surgery, they get you walking around right. the ward, walking with your IV bottle, uh, pretty quickly in some cases, uh, or they just discharge you. Um, uh, but this hospital that I'm thinking of, that our church is designed to be. Is this really strange hospital where you may end up in the hospital on a gurney, you get healed, you're growing, you're getting healthier, but then you get to be a part of a healing team. You go into the world um, to be an agent of health and healing. Mm. Um, an agent of shalom, as we talked about before in the right. first podcast. Yeah, right. And so to me, that sounds way more exciting than um, churches just about... As great as coming to worship and worshiping with other people and learning, that's super awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but th there's such a much greater adventure for every follower of Jesus available mm. in the world around us. And part of our task is, as, as pastors is to do a good job of training and equipping um, each other mm. and our, our church to live into that. Mm. Yeah, and, and I also want to bring up a story where, um, you know, I I haven't had a lot of jobs outside the ministry, but I've had like part-time jobs that I had to do while I went through seminary and whatnot. And, you know, I used to, I used to be a mailboy at a, at a big corporate office, big corporate office of a big corporate, you know, well-known corporation. And, you know, on the, on the totem pole, a hierarchy of things in a, in a corporate office, um, you know, mailboy is, is just maybe a little above the cockroaches, you know, and, and, and so that, that's basically who you are. And they, they know that you exist, but nobody really sees you, right? And, um, but I made it like, 
I'm not just delivering mail and supplies to people's desks. And so when I'd go, I'd say, hey, how are you? And how's your day going? And if they, you know, gave me a superficial thing, I'm like, no, 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 how's it really going? And when you take a keen interest and they're like, I couldn't believe how people started to open up to me. And then they started opening up like really about deep stuff over lunch or during the breaks. And then finally it got to such a point to where I had to ask my boss, hey, do you mind if I use this conference room during lunch? Because a lot of people are sharing things that I think they need some counsel with. And do you mind if I do that? And he's like, no, he's just a happy worker is a good worker, you know. So, um, but that's the thing. You, can, you, can, you don't have to be at the president CEO to make an impact. You can be the, the, the mailboy. And, and, but if you, if you bring those purposes and that character, you know, um, uh, uh, of the kingdom of God, in, in, in just like, you know, we talked about in the, in the, in the first podcast, I was just listening. Because, because most people have never been listened to all week. You know, and especially to be asked, how's your soul? Or how's that pain? Or how's the divorce going? Or whatever, you know, very few. And, and it's that opportunity to like be God's hands, ears, and mouth to people. And, 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 and it wasn't because I was Reverend Steve Page. I was Mailboy Steve Page, you know. So I want to encourage folks, you know, just by telling that story, not to pat myself on the back, but just to say it can happen. It can, it can really, really happen. Um, yeah, I agree. I, it, 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 was, it was a much, uh, I think, probably sillier story, but I, it makes me think of uh, uh, the time that I went to traffic school. In California, if you have a moving violation, you have this opportunity to go to something called traffic school. And uh, they have different versions of it where you can, it'll be taken off your record. I, I used to have a little problem with controlling my speed of my car. <laughs> and uh, so I had a number of these experiences. This one was at the comedy traffic school. And uh, so the very first thing that they ask you is, um, uh, what's your name? And what do you do? And why are you here? Mm. Um, so I had to confess my name, the fact that I was a pastor. And I was speeding. And the whole class went, ooh. <laughs> and so throughout the entire day, the comedy traffic instructor would make a point about, you know, here's the stop sign. You know, this is what it looks like. And then he'd look over at me and say, well, Reverend, what do you think? <laughs> All day long. Me, bro. Me. Yeah. And, uh, but at lunchtime, I ended up having a conversation with a guy about the gospel. Wow. So even in these random situations, you know, where you're just, it's known who you are, and uh, you're just seeking to uh, be an influence for the kingdom, there's an opportunity there. And I think if I can, as I approach my days with open to God and listening, like, where am I, where are the opportunities it might be today where I can be an agent of, of grace, um, rather than you know, another impatient person, you know, waiting in line, um, or, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's just tons of opportunities. Yeah, I, I think let, let, let's, let's kind of put that right there in people's hearts and minds. When you, when you pray in the morning or whatever you do, you know, or even when you just get in the car, if they just said that prayer, Lord, how can I be an agent of grace, your grace today in this world? Or, Lord, you know, whom can I serve today in your name? Just, just pray that simple one-sentence thing. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's one thing that, that God will always answer, you know, those kinds of prayers, that's for sure. Uh, you'll always get an answer for that. And so it may not be a huge purple space that no. you create, but it could be a small one that um, God could use that could grow. 
Yeah. And, and, and he wants to use you in, because, you know, God, again, to reiterate this theme that we must understand as today's, you know, Christians in the world is, is that God is on a mission of renewal, not on a mission of destruction. You know, Jesus is not up in heaven just waiting for everything to get so simple, sinful, and so terrible down here that he's finally going to come down and I'm going to torch this place. Um, you know, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, the expectation is not how God is waiting to torch humanity and the earth, but that he is at work right now through the church and through the Spirit to renew it, you know, to renew it. And, and, and I just, again, I want to reiterate something I said in the movie, uh, in the movie, the video that I, that I taught. Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't see this world and the sinners who inhabit it, even the worst of sinners, as one big dumpster fire that we just got to get it destroyed and start again. Rather, for him, it is a place and a people whom he loves and cherishes. Yeah, I know there's horrible things going on in Ukraine right now, in the Congo, in, in, in umpteen places, Burma, the streets of Chicago, or you know, the other things that are going on in our country right now that are so heartbreaking. Um, nonetheless, that doesn't mean the world is a dumpster fire just because that's happening. It's still a place and we're still a people whom he loves and cherishes and came to die for. And again, you know, John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And, and, and I know that a lot of people can look at that as, well, it says you'll have eternal life and eternal life starts when you die. And that is a complete misunderstanding theologically of what eternal life is in the scriptures. That's why I like Dallas Willard's comment. He says, for us Christians, eternity is now in session. Not when they put me in a pine box six feet under the ground, but it's now in session. Right. One of the stories that I do love um, is when uh, Jesus sends his disciples ahead to a town and the town won't welcome them. And so the disciples say, do you want us to call down fire yeah. on that town? I, I don't know whether Jesus, how Jesus didn't go, just shake his head like, oh my gosh. Send them back. <laughs> I have been with these guys for three years and, and you guys are asking me a question about because they didn't welcome you. Uh, let's get, torch them. <laughs> yeah, let's torch them. Like, really? Like, what in the world? But, you know, and his infinite patience... Uh, he just said, "No, you're, you're made out of something different. You know, this is this is about something different than that." So I do love that. Um, oh, it's a that great story. Yeah, uh, that's in Luke nine, I think, is it, where that story. It's a great, great, great story. Um, well, speaking of disciples, let's get into uh, the calling of the disciples. There, when when Jesus, uh, right after he makes this big summary statement, first thing he does, he walks by the side beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon, and he sees his brother Andrew casting their nets in the lake, and he calls them. He says, "Come, follow me." And I'll make you fishers of people. And then after they left their nets and followed him. Very significant gesture on their part. And then he went a little farther and he called James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their notes, uh, in their uh, uh, boats working with their dad. And they left their dad and um, kept going with Jesus. And, and I think it's an amazing thing. There's a lot there that's going on. But I don't think it's by accident that Mark puts... Here's this kingdom, gigantic statement, and discipleship, the call of disciples comes right 
after it. What do you make of that kind of immediacy between those two things and the way they responded? Well, I think that um, the story that comes to mind uh, is the story of um, when Jesus borrows their boat and pushes out into the shore and um, speaks to the crowd. And Peter, um, it, it, after he's done, he's Peter. Um, Jesus says to him, "You know, let's go fishing." And Peter had been had a very unsuccessful night of fishing the night before. And he says, "We already done that. You know, I know." You're a carpenter, like I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, um, but okay, because of who you are, let's go. I'll, let's go fishing, and then they catch all his fish. Peter's reaction is like, "Get away from me! I'm a sinful man." Mm. So, when, in that moment, when Peter is thinking that he's he's made a fool of himself, he's disqualified. Um, he knew his heart and how he was, how cocky he was, and arrogant. Uh, but Jesus said, no, let's go, Peter. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And I love that calling. Um, uh, and he's going to uh, flesh that out for them about what it means to be fish for people uh, in the context of um, of his ever-expanding kingdom. That he, he Because he's present, the kingdom is present. Mm. Um, and it's going to become... There's some surprising developments about how how present it actually becomes after his death and resurrection when the Holy Spirit is given uh, to the disciples and they're filled with the presence of Christ. And uh, God the Father and God the Son come and make their homes in the disciples through his Spirit. The kingdom of God is, is expanding into their lives and will expand through them uh, in their in their community, yeah, and even and it's not because of the the, the brightest uh, students there were in the uh, the world of Judaism at the day. You know, um, I don't want to geek out too much on how the process of the disciples actually happened according to Judaism, uh, but there were like you know three levels of schools that that that, that mostly males went through, um, and in order to become the Talmudim, or that's the word for disciple in Hebrew, and you basically find out by your young teens if you were going to be, had any potential to be a true disciple of a rabbi. And these guys, and, and if you didn't, then you go learn a trade, right? And so these guys obviously did make the cut. And uh, I, I, I'm really, that's great for a jamoke like me out of Jersey, you know. Uh, there's no way when I was younger, somebody's pointing their finger at me like, you know what, this dude's going to become a pastor. He's going to be a preacher. Oh, he's going to be a missionary. There's just no way. And, and, and that's why I just, you know, love where Jesus starts with people. You know, he doesn't pick people of the, uh, that are working as priests already, you know, uh, in the temple or something like that. He's fishermen. Uh, way the heck up in northern uh, Israel. And, and, and I think that's tremendous. And I, I hope that warms people's heart to understand wh whom God's picked. It's not like the Great Commission is, you know, go all of you who are gifted, bright, educated, and have lots of time to disciple all nations. That's just not who it's given to. Um, and... And as we're going to find out through this gospel, um, they're, they're, not, they're not just like not the brightest uh, uh, Jewish students in the world, but they're resistant to some things that Jesus wants to get accomplished in this world. Like, you know, how, how hot-headed they were to like call down, to literally think about it. They wanted to burn people. That's what their character was like. And, and Levi, you know, this is, this is uh, in, in the next group of uh, videos we're doing, but, but Levi... 
was a self, at one point in his life at least, was a self-serving, parasitic man who turned his back on his country, turned his back on his people, turned his back on God. And then Jesus says, follow me, you know, and, and to that guy. It's, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. It's hard to, to wrap our brain around it there. Um, Super encouraging. Now, you've told stories about when you've gone back to Joyzee. <laughs> yeah. What, and you've interacted with people in the events seen in decades, yeah. you know, and they're kind of, their jaws sort of hit the ground. That, yep. yep. Um, like, really? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. How, how did you go from that guy that we knew in high school to yeah. doing this? Yeah, that, that, that question gets asked frequently. I've only gone to one reunion, and I probably spent half the night explaining that story 58 <laughs> times. Because they're like, wait, you do what? <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you steal my hubcaps? You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> uh, I remember, oh, yeah, didn't we steal that car with you? I mean, yeah, seriously, it was, it was I kind of feel like, wait, how did that happen? So it was great, you know, because it's so shocking. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's a journey that, that I'm forever. I, I, can't, I can't believe I wake up, and that's my job is to preach the gospel. It's an amazing thing. I think it's, it's, there's so many ways that we disqualify ourselves. Yes. You know, we, you know, I'm not, I don't have the time. I don't have, uh, I don't have the education. I don't really understand. Uh, I can't answer everybody's questions they're going to ask me if I talk about the Bible. Um, uh, there's just so many ways that we disqualify ourselves. And in some fundamental sense, we are disqualified, but Christ qualifies us. Right. You know, because of what he does on our behalf, he gives us himself, his, his very, his spirit, um, and we're qualified by him. To, yeah. um, Not that we can't get better at what we're doing. Right. But that, definitely. That, but all that improvement of learning and all that kind of stuff doesn't make us more qualified, so to speak. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me give a, a real quick definition. It's a working definition of discipleship. But then I want to ask you, Tim, um, uh, as we move into this last segment, um, what are the ways that helped you grow um, in your discipleship? Um, and, and, but first, let me give this you know, quick definition here. Discipleship is a relational process. So it's the relational process where we care for and equip one another. That's very important that we understand it's one another, not one equipping or caring for just one, but we one another each other to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to serve Jesus so that, there's got to be a so that clause here, so that we and the world find salvation, wholeness, and healing or shalom in Jesus. That's how we do it. It's a relational process where we care for and equip one another to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to serve Jesus so that we and the world find salvation and wholeness and healing in Jesus. Vis-a-vis shalom. So tell me your journey in that a bit and what helped you and what you can pass on to others um, in that. Well, I'm very grateful that I was raised in a Christian home. Um, by a mother and father who were followers of Jesus. And uh, I was raised in a, a wonderful church in Southern California uh, that had a fantastic ministry for kids. And so I learned a lot about the gospel, even as a, um, as a small child. And I think at some point I committed as much as I knew about myself or understood, too much as, as much as I understood about Christ. You know, I committed my life to Christ as a, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of as things in our family um, got difficult, things got really painful and collapsed in lots of ways, um, and I entered into high school, I was kind of a hurting guy and used some medicating strategies to try to deal with mm-hmm. that pain that weren't helpful. 
and began to sort of drift, had drifted away from, from God. I went, uh, went to uh, university. Um, I sort of came, came to the end of my rope and uh, just was like, this, uh, something's got to change here. And I was, it was just, God reached out to me and spoke to me and said, you know, do you remember me? Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, who, who I am? And I, on my own, because I had exhausted a lot of other strategies, I thought, let me try this again. So I had trusted myself, again, as much as I understood about myself, to much as I understood about God. And that began a, a journey um, of really a remarkable change and transformation. Uh, I remember the day that I was playing uh, tennis with a new friend of mine, one of my uh, next door neighbors who was a Christian. And there was so much hurt and junk and stuff going on in, inside of me um, that I really wasn't concentrating very well. I wasn't really a great partner uh, playing against him. And so he just sort of stopped the, the, the tennis match and we wa- he walked up to the net and I walked up to the net and he said, is there something going on? Uh, you know, cause you seem kind of distracted. And like you were speaking, talking about earlier about listening or people asking, that was a revolutionary question in my life that he asked me, what's going on? Mm. Is there something going on? And I didn't have an answer because I couldn't, didn't understand really what was going on. I just knew there was junk going on. And uh, he just said to me, you know, if you ever want to talk about what's going on, I'd be happy to talk with you about mm. that. And uh, I discovered a Christian community and how essential that is because I found a community where I could journey with others, uh, journey with Jesus, but journey with others, with Jesus, uh, and it could be honest and transparent and, and go, God, this is what I'm really wrestling with. You know, you, know you, you confess or admit something and you look around and think, like, do they now want me to leave? Do you know that? But then he discovered, no, like these people are struggling with similar things in their life too, mm. and we could be be on that journey together. I just got off a Zoom call with that guy. Oh no way! Uh, I have met with that guy and two other guys who are all of us are pastors since college, and that has been absolutely transformational. Uh, and I think it's a particularly, um, in any sort of leadership capacity, whether that's in the church or in the marketplace, those p- positions can be incredibly lonely where you, particularly as pastors, as pastors you can turn yourself into a two-dimensional cartoon superhero mm. where you've lost track of what your real story is and what's really going on in your life, and you don't have any place where you can be honest and transparent. I know for me as a pastor that's absolutely essential, essential that I have uh, this place where I can be me, we be transparent, just mm. I can talk honestly, and where we can celebrate with each other and the great achievements of our lives, and uh, mourn with each other and the losses, and encourage each other to uh, follow Christ. So I, I would say, as you pointed out in your your talk, that um, the gift of community is absolutely essential for me to grow as a disciple of Jesus. I'm not called to live as a disciple on my own. Mm. Um, I'm called to do that with 
with others. Yeah, and I really believe that God has actually foreordained and hardwired us to be um, incomplete in trying to becoming like him. I mean, we, we, just, we just don't have all that it takes to become like Jesus. I think he forces us, you know, you know we're I use the word inadequate, that we're inadequate to become like Jesus on our own. He's made us, you know, to, to, to get there together, that we help each other. That's why that one another phrase is in, in our definition there. And um, this kind of Lone Ranger Christianity is, is, is a very modern in world history of Christianity, it's a very modern concept and very American, you know. Uh, but the idea of community is, is crucial. And, and I think, you know, for me in my own journey, when I became a Christian, I was just so raw as a person in general. And... Um, but it was amazing how I, I became a Christian my last year of college, and, and these guys took a vested interest in me. Like, I'm interested in your life. It wasn't like I'm, you're a notch on my Bible, <clears throat> excuse me. But it, it, this one guy in particular, name was Jeff Hetchell. He, he took a vested interest in my life, and he saw things. And this is part of the discipleship process that's so huge. He could see things in me that I couldn't see in myself. And I could feel that for some reason. Because I was just this foul-mouthed punk out of Jersey who, you know, should have been doing time, much less trying to get a degree. And, but he saw me something different. Now, people used to joke about me. Like, the first time I ever gave my testimony in front of people, I used words. They weren't cuss words, but, man, they got real close. And to this day, if I talk to one of those people at that meeting, they will tell me of that story because it was so <laughs> shocking. But, but that's how raw I was. But to have someone, I believe in you, and I can see things in you. You may not be able to see it in yourself right now. But I could see something there. And that just, I was so fortunate to have that at such a young stage. And, 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 and also something you touched on that became also essential to the discipleship process is the openness, the honesty, the vulnerability that has to be there. If we're wearing masks with each other when we gather in small groups, um, you're going to get so far, no farther. You know, if we're not really putting things out there, like we Protestants have definitely lost the spiritual discipline of confession and having a confessor, you know. But I think we need to regain that because so much of that is crucial to get to the next level, you know, with Jesus. And because, you know, what stays hidden stays hurting. And he's not gonna, he, he can't just go in there and transform that we're going to hold on to so tight and hide, you know. So there needs to be that kind of community that has that feature and characteristic that, you know, um, I love you where you're at, not where you're supposed to be. Mm. And that's how these guys, when I first became a Christian, loved me. Because I was, like I said, really rough. And, and um, uh, I, I, unfortunately, for some reason, I just had that in my early development. Older men that, that wanted to contribute to the growth of my life as a Christian, you know. And, and I wasn't in the ministry yet, but these guys were still doing that, and it, and it and helped me to, you know, to get to that point to say, okay, you know, I, I want to I I go in the ministry. One and of my first um, uh, ministry positions was at um, Mount Hermon Christian Conference Center in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I was a Ponderosa Lodge high school counselor. I'd never even been to summer camp until I became a camp counselor at, that, at Ponderosa Lodge. And Rhonda Moeller, um, who I count as a mentor, really an amazing man. Um, I can still remember the quote in the counselor uh, manual that said, we don't expect you to be a model of perfection. Mm. Because if you do that, if you pretend to be a model of perfection, when these high school students try to emulate your life, they're going to get super discouraged. 
What we want you to do is to simply be a person who can acknowledge that you too need the grace of God in mm. your life. And that was a liberating concept that was sort of like one of those trajectory statements that I grew into and still I'm growing into. Um, but it had to do with the uh, honesty and the transparency and and being a receiving God's grace for myself and being an agent of grace and encouragement and exhortation sometimes. Mm. Uh, I need fisher-cut-bait talks sometimes in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a few of those with the folks who discipled me. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And still. Right? Straight-up stuff. Yeah. Um, and, 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 that's, and that's the other part of that idea is that, you know, we need to love each other where we're at, not where we're supposed to be. But we need to love each other enough to not let us stay that way, you know, to ask the hard questions. You know, uh, love, love, love is not some kind of limp-wristed saccharine attempt to make people feel happy. It's, it's to help us to, to in, embrace more of God's grace and, and healing in our lives and to become as he is. Well, we need to wrap it up. Um, this is a great talk. We, we could talk, well, well, we'll talk more in the future about this and discipleship, I'm sure, because it's such a big issue in this gospel. And yeah, one last thing I want to say. Um, sorry, everyone, for the noise you might have heard in the background where we were talking earlier. Um, we um, we in, encountered somebody who is very passionate about cutting their lawn right outside our window. So um, as they enjoyed their passion while we were talking about ours, hopefully it wasn't too disturbing. But uh, thank you for hanging in there. Um, but I just want the folks to know before we finish out here that our, the Christian faith doesn't emphasize discipleship because we want to pack our churches for an hour or so on Sunday. It's because discipleship, that journey to love Jesus to be like Jesus and to serve Jesus so we experience the wholeness of Jesus. This is how human well-being, shalom, is best experienced. It is how our lives and our families and our communities and workplaces and even our larger societies will be transformed. And, and you know, uh, I'll, I'll put this in the words of N.T. Wright. He said, the disciple of Jesus is the coming attraction to the inevitable wholeness, vis-a-vis shalom, God is now creating. The church is to demonstrate the signs of new life, which are the genuine anticipations of the new age breaking in already. So folks, I hope you understand how God is breaking in to your life and to your community and how he wants you to be a part of that um, so you can join him in the joy of transforming uh, uh, this world and to see more of his kingdom come his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, as we close, remember the words of Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount when he said, the wise person is the one who puts his words into practice. So be wise, my friends. And we'll see you next time on A Deeper Dive. The Lord bless you and take care. Take care.